This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Good morning, friends and warriors, and welcome to the Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. I'm Tracy Eddy in Arizona, and Fran Yeager's in Tennessee. Good morning, howdy. Hey, howdy. Hi I think that might be the first time I've ever said howdy in like real, in like a real thing. It sort of threw me off. <laughs> howdy back. <laughs> Listeners, you are in for a treat today. We have Jimmy Mitchell joining us from the Love Good Project. And can't wait to talk to him. Jimmy's the chief curator at Love Good. He's a musician, composer, speaker, storyteller, and has a heart for sharing beauty. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning, Fran. Good to be with Jimmy you guys. Jimmy Mitchell, you're <laughs> on our podcast. That is so cool. It's just it's, cool. It's happening. The privilege is all mine. Trust me. Oh, you're very we, kind and generous. We pursue Jimmy. <laughs> 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 and we're not Hound ashamed to say it. <laughs> there it is. I love it. Well, and, and it started actually at least two years ago, Jimmy. You would not know this. So I'm going to give you a little backstory so that you can come up to speed. So um, we moved. my family moved here to Nashville two years ago, and we had not been in Nashville two minutes before people were like, well, tell us about your family. And I was like, well, we've got four boys. They're like, oh, you got to meet Jimmy Mitchell. And I was like, oh, does he babysit boys? Does he get stains out of things? It sounds great. Great. Who is this Jimmy Mitchell? And your name just kept popping up and popping up. And then my eldest started coming to your um, young men's formation groups um, and loving it. And so I kind of got to know through him a little bit who you were. And then I guess about a year ago, my husband and I were doing a, a talk to a confirmation class, uh, parents and students. And one of the points that we were making is, you know, just to consume things together of the faith. And um, we suggested like podcasts. That's something that our family likes to do either in the car or whatever. And then we like put it on pause, like, ooh, let's talk about this thing. And so at the very end of the talk, we're like, does anyone have any questions? And, you know, we had a couple of questions. And one kid raised his hand and said, I have a question. Have you ever heard of the Jimmy Mitchell podcast? And I was like, love good. Indeed, I have. <laughs> It's a small world, especially when uh, you live in Nashville, Tennessee, and you happen to be Catholic, and yeah. we just all know each other. It's how yeah. it works, you know? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, so it. what else? So I guess I'll say this. Um, at Bellator Society, we have a, a theme. Our, one of our patrons or patronesses is um, St. Joan of Arc. And she said, you know, I'm not afraid I was born for this. That's kind of one of her famed quotations. So I guess just to start out, I mean, we know all of these official titles like chief curator and composer and storyteller. And those are beautiful. But what were you born for? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Even as you ask that question, I'm looking down at a piece of paper right now where I have a quote from Esther. Perhaps you were made for a time such as, such this. as this. You know, I, I think it. it was probably somewhere around 15 years ago when I first moved to Nashville and I began asking the question, who am I? You know, what is my life really all about? Up until that point, it was just a mad race to build a resume, uh, a big hope for, you know, 
worldly success that actually mm -hmm. wasn't satisfying, whether it was the grades I was making in high school or the sports, you know, that I was uh, competing in, the girls I was chasing after, none of that was satisfying me deep uh, in my core. And so when I showed up in Nashville, um, I realized something pretty profound that I, I didn't understand truly uh, the love of God and, and the mercy of God. I sort of mm -hmm. had this pull myself up by my bootstrap mentality that basically meant I was an overachiever, uh, a bit of a perfectionist. And then immediately, uh, given that I went from Atlanta, Georgia, where I grew up in a you know, a beautiful Catholic home and went to, you know, a lot of different Catholic schools. And then suddenly I'm, I'm going to Vanderbilt, this, you know, top 20, but very secular school. Mm -hmm. All of my friends were either evangelicals or atheists. And I had to decide who I was going to be and what the next mm -hmm. four years were going to hold. I knew were likely going to be foundational for the rest of my life. So the quick answer is, you know, it's been uh, a real journey of, 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 falling more and more in love with God and realizing that I'm nothing without Him. Um, but it has come with a lot of joy, a lot of sorrow, a lot of pain, a lot of death and divorce and, you know, friendships that have been uh, the, the greatest surprises, um, as well as sometimes the greatest disappointments uh, along the way. So I could get into all kinds of specifics, but I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that apart from being a beloved son of the Father, uh, mm -hmm. nothing else makes sense anymore. Amen. And Amen. there's nothing like Nashville for an existential crisis. Hey, there it is. <laughs> all these melancholic artists, you know, running around all the time. That's right. Indeed. So speaking of specifics, can you give us some specifics on the Love Good Project? Absolutely. I, I'm a big follower because Fran has spoken very highly of you. So I follow you on Facebook and um and it looks like you do some really cool things, some really fun things. But can you tell us, like, what's not not really what's the point, but what is the mission of Love Good? It's really funny because uh, this past spring, I pulled open a very old journal, which is always a, a risk. You know, you never mm. know what you're going to find in the <laughs> old catalog there. And uh, it was from 10 years ago. And I was actually a seminarian for the diocese in Nashville. And I was for the first time, entering into the liturgical life of the church in a really full way. And so the, the Feast of the Incarnation came around, which is March 25th, uh, sometimes known as the Feast of the Annunciation, right, where, where Mary came and announced, uh, or sorry, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and announced that she would give birth to Jesus. And she said yes, she said yes. And really that moment changes everything, right, that God takes on human flesh, elevates creation, and then ultimately redeems it and then invites it into his own nature. Like all of that is pretty epic. And so what it gave for me is a new lens through which I saw the world. And I'm sitting there uh, six months ago reading my journal entry from that day and realizing that um, all these dreams about a music label, a book publishing company, um, events that very much brought beauty to the forefront and had a natural kind of organic way of evangelizing hearts and evangelizing culture uh, it was all in that journal entry, but it was, you know, several years later um, that I kind of began taking some risks and putting on some events and um, was suddenly surrounded by a lot of singer-songwriters in Nashville who had no means of support, had nobody mm -hmm. investing in them. They also didn't want to sell out and go the commercial route. And right. I think that's a huge conflict for really genuine, really authentic artists. They don't want their music or their art to be turned into commerce. Um, and so what we, what we built 
was a subscription model, a patronage model, long before Patreon was even on the scene, right? We went out on a 45-city tour, um, all-house concerts, in about 60 days, uh, as far west as L.A., as far north as uh, Boston, as far south as Tampa. And the, the vision was simple. The mission was simple. It was, it was to invite people uh, to invest in the arts, um, to, to rally around this growing community of artists who weren't necessarily doing Christian music or liturgical music, mm -hmm. but that were very much imbuing their, their music with their faith. In the same way that Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, these songwriters write songs. And I thought, wow, there's something pretty special here and pretty powerful here. And you could see it in the intimate live shows, whether it was someone's backyard or their living room, people were deeply moved. And it brought together a lot of different kinds of people, family, friends, neighbors, uh, different religious and political backgrounds suddenly were coming together under this banner of beauty that has mm -hmm. now led to friendship, that has now led to conversion, that has now led to this real change um, in people's personal lives as well as their families and uh, their communities around them. So that, that's the hope, is to, to take what these artists do like pretty uh, intuitively um, through their craft and to inspire every person uh, and especially every Christian to do that with their lives, which is to say, uh, captivate people first, explain later, you know, yes, believe yes. in beauty's implicit power. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like the power of the transcendentals just in general, but, um, I love where you began, um, your, your thoughts on this with the incarnation and the Annunciation. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a quote by John Paul II, and it's something like, the church needs the university. So he's speaking to, I think it might have been the university at Bologna, but it doesn't matter. But he said, the church needs the university so that faith can be incarnated and become a lived culture. Right. So let's take out the word university and put in maybe love good or, or your mission. Mm. Right. Like infiltrating um, the church needs people infiltrating the culture so that the faith can then become lived, you know, that the culture can become alivened in our faith. And that's something that is so uh, it's so rare and it's so special. And um, and I love I love how you said that you were you, it's not really about mm, I don't want to say this pejoratively, but like Christiany artists, you know, that's, that it's yeah. just artists who are Christian who have the ethic, who have the virtue, and that is, you know, they can't help but like spill that out in their artistry. I mean, that's, that's what I've noticed from the people that you highlight, the people that you kind of give a platform for through Lovegood. Um, is that, I mean, do you, do you look for people who already have that or are you mentoring people for that? It's a great question. It's a good bit of both. Um, we do obviously love um, the opportunity to invest in the next generation of artists, to really come alongside up-and-coming singer-songwriters. And especially if there's a raw talent there and a, and a desire to grow in their faith, there's a huge mentorship opportunity that we really try to seek. And, you know, there's one way that that happens very practically. We have a, a gap year program. So for young adults between the ages of 18 and 25 who want to spend nine months living, praying, working in community here in Nashville while discerning their vocation, while cultivating some gift or craft, um, while in some cases taking classes online, um, all of that is built around this um, this art of being human, as we call it, mm -hmm. right? And it obviously uh, has a particular application in the life of an artist. 
um, who doesn't want to just live well, uh, but create well. And so um, we have found a lot of young artists drawn to that program and uh, have been, you know, one of our right now 12 apprentices or, or 12 young people in the program. Um, several of them are creative, um, are poets, uh, are kind of thriving amidst community, amidst like a pretty intense life of that prayer. That is so cool. It is so cool. And we can't make any promises. Like we don't know if they're going to make it big or if they're going to have a sustainable career one day, but we know they've got a gift. They know, uh, we know they have a, a vocation as a servant of beauty and we want to foster that, right? So that, that happens very tangibly through our apprenticeship here. That being said, a lot of the artists that we do a lot of work with on our podcast that we promote in our seasonal packages and Spotify playlists, obviously they're a little more established. It's very rare for us to work um, with artists who aren't independent. So they're typically, um, you know, enjoying a lot of creative freedom. Wh whatever artists um, we happen to be working with, they, they don't have labels and publishers and all these commercial viability demands placed upon them. Um, and I would say, you know, we're finding as many that happen to be Catholic uh, as who happen to be um, evangelical or, or some different uh, denomination within Christianity and, and yet share this vision of beauty and its power to, yes, evangelize culture, but really, as you put it, Fran, to, to take the faith and incarnate, incarnate it mm -hmm. so that there is a shared life. Uh, which is what culture is. It's life shared in common. Yeah, I love that. I also love the idea of, um, and I've listened to your podcast a lot of times. There's one, and I can't remember which one it was. And you said, mm, I think you had one of your co-hosts on, and you guys were talking about just like um, kind of your, and if, well, correct me if I'm wrong, you're pretty sanguine, right? Yes, it's true. <laughs> There's a whole episode coming out about the temperaments, and I'm pretty much textbook sanguine, yeah. Yeah, Tr Tracy is too, by the way. So sanguine meets sanguine. But um, <laughs> but I think this falls. Um, the, a discussion of this falls very timely um, in this week because it is the feast, the week of the feast of Saint Teresa of Avila, my girl, and mm -hmm. she is reputed, or, or uh, uh, she is thought to have said something to the effect of "God save us from gloomy saints." Right. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that that, I mean, that's, is that the banner of sanguinity? Is that like where <laughs> you live? Because like, that's kind of what beauty is. You know, there've been so many studies about people who you're more beautiful if you're smiling. Right. Mm. And I think that that's true just in terms of a, a very philosophical approach to evangelization and just like, again, just engaging the culture, even if it's not to do an overt evangelistic mission, um, because I actually think those are not the most effective sometimes. We really should mm. be more a little bit more covert in our efforts. Um, but I think that often begins with a smile or an attitude. Do you have that same thought? Is that, is that kind of a philosophy of yours as well? Yeah, I would say it's an intuition. Um, it's not even something I think about or put into words very much. because you're sure a sanguine. Tracy, <laughs> Tracy would probably agree, you know, like you, you don't want anything to be too programmed and too philosophically thought out. And, you know, you like the spontaneity of it, you know, and the genuineness of it. But yes, uh, obviously this was like written all over Chesterton, all over Lewis. Yes. Joy yes. is the gigantic secret of Christianity. It's the gigantic secret of the of the beloved son or daughter of the father, the one who's aware that their citizenship is in heaven, all of life becomes a rehearsal for 
the heavenly kingdom. Yes. Uh, and and suddenly the the joy is is fairly inescapable, and it obviously has very little to do with emotion, very little to do with the mood that we happen to be in that day. It's it's a joy that really does surpass human understanding, and and you know kind of rides above the. Uh, you know the ups and downs of of our emotional uh, roller coasters. So I I don't know. I just I find joy really really effective and um and really important. But also um you know in the work of evangelization, I I don't know how else we can a- attempt to evangelize uh, the world today with, without joy. You know. Well, some people try to do it with a with a shaken finger. You know, <laughs> and and that's not super effective, especially for young people yeah. who really do have um their their context is an experiential you know, uh, ex- well, uh, they, 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 they come to faith more experientially, I think, than maybe generations past where, you know, didactics and catechesis were all the rage and, and important. I mean, my children right. learned their catechesis. It's not something that we put by the wayside, but there is something about the experience of faith in, in daily life and that, that, um, that incarnation, um, of Christ in, in just the, in all of the minutia of everything we do just mm. saturated, um, in our lives lives that I think is more effective. Um, yes. And, and way more natural, you know, so you think about an artist, for example, who would consider themselves a Christian artist and maybe only do Christian art or Christian music. There would be something fundamentally flawed there if they didn't actually think that the Christian imagination had something to say about everything, right? Yes. For it to become a culture, for it to become a lens through which you see the world, um, it it has to drip into every fiber of your being. And so what it means is suddenly the faith becomes this totally natural thing. It's just infused in every aspect of your life. I mean, just thinking back to, you know, when I first met Ward and a lot of his friends uh, here at the Catholic High School in Nashville, it's like part of the reason they love coming um, for brotherhood, discipleship, formation every Tuesday night is because it's so organic. You know, they don't feel like they're stepping into a classroom. They're not stepping into, you know, a youth group or, or a curriculum or a program. They're stepping into what, what feels to them like the normalization of holiness. You know, mm-hmm. in a, in a yeah. world that has normalized sin, uh, the church uh, has a huge opportunity to normalize holiness. And I see young people latching onto that all over the place. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, we need you. We need you yeah. all over the country. Come to Arizona. Yeah. Come, come west. Where are, are you in Phoenix, Tracy? I'm in Phoenix, Scottsdale. Yeah, I'll, I'll be in Phoenix for like four days in December. So we'll have to connect. Totally, somewhere. totally. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Are you your um, your tours, your house concerts? How how does that work? Are you doing more of them? Do you have any on the schedule? Yes. So we come just to, had. Come see us. <laughs> So the really exciting news is for a long time, it felt to me like I had to be everywhere at once. And that was probably more pride and vanity than anything else. I, you know, was not only the one booking those events, I was the one, you know, uh, managing those tours and often emceeing the nights. And while that was really fun for a little while, it burned me out really fast. And so, you know, for example, this past weekend, we had three events all over Kansas. The the weekend prior, we had three events um, all over St. Louis. And I think we had somewhere close to 45 new patrons come in in the last two weeks, um, mostly from those events. So for us, it's like, wow, we're finding some models that, you know, 
are sustainable that don't right. involve me like shaking every hand and kissing every baby. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the reality is most of my travel now is speaking at conferences, uh, retreats, parish missions, uh, summer camps. I do a lot of camps in the summer. Um, but I've got now a team around me who's able to pull off these events, even the booking of these events. And then, um, it's such a community sense, uh, not only with our team, but the artists that we work with, that suddenly finding an artist who's available for a three-night tour of, of house concerts in St. Louis is, is a really easy and a really fun thing. And we're able, because of our patrons, to pay those artists and really affirm them and their gift, and then obviously continue to expand the, the, the mission by rounding, rounding up more patrons as well. So all that to say, if anybody's interested, like lovegoodculture.com is where you find all the details. Um, I'm constantly on the road, but so are some of our team members and our artists. And it just means that encountering Lovegood is hopefully getting easier and easier for people. And, you know, not everybody actually wants to, you know, sit behind uh, their screen watching our YouTube videos. And I get that. <laughs> um, and thanks be to God, those platforms exist because those folks will never reach otherwise. But it, for us, it's always been about the in-person encounter and the, right. the, the intimacy of, of an event that isn't a thousand people, but 50 to 100 that feel like they're stepping into a, a night of, of real family and real culture, you know. So how does that work if the Eddies would like to host a house concert? Do we just go online and fill out a form and someone yeah, calls yeah. us? You go to our website, you, you click on events, and then you fill out a form with uh, your your requested dates. And uh, if we can make it work, we will make it work. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I it's cool that. too. It's it's free, um, which still feels a little bit scary to me most days because there's costs involved. But the reason that we're keeping these events free is because, uh, you know, we we really want to feel confident at the end of these nights when we say, hey, this is only possible because people like you are stepping up all over the country. And actually, in nine different countries now, we have patrons. So all over the world, people are saying this matters and this is, this is an investment in the future of our culture. This, this is me placing my vote for the culture of tomorrow. And, uh, and we can't really do that if we're charging people as they're walking in the door. You know? <laughs> so it, it's risky and scary, but also... I think, um, you know, really important for people to just feel like they've been welcomed into this night and then invited to get on board long term at, at the end. I love that. I like that. Yeah. That sounds like a good groove. Very yeah. good place to be. I really do love that. <laughs> I want to switch gears really quickly and tap into the well that is you in terms of um, your idea of elevating what we consume or being more intentional about our consumption of media, whether that is music or um, art or movies or books or just all of the things that we put in our bodies and our minds. You know, we, my husband and I are natural family planning teachers, and we often uh, make the point of saying that, you know, it, it's mind boggling um, how we live in this culture that basically idolizes health. Right. I mean, we spend gobs of money on our gym memberships and our organic chickens and like all of the things. And we don't think twice <laughs> about putting, you know, hormones into our bodies, for instance, with with, you know, artificial birth control pills or whatever. 
And so we, we kind of try to make that draw draw that um, an analogy to to natural family planning. But I want to kind of shine the light in terms of consumption of media. Like obviously, we believe that what we put into our bodies is essential and necessary to our health. And yet we don't really think that what we put into our ears and our eyes and our minds and our hearts is necessary to the, the health or, or the virtue of our lives. So can you talk to us maybe a little bit about how you, um, I don't know, how you cultivate standards? How do you sift through mm. the good and the bad and make choices? Absolutely. And I think the first thing to recognize is that we do live in a culture of noise. And there's a lot of passive consumers out there who aren't thinking about the fact that they, on average, listen to eight hours of music a day, on average, listen uh, or watch an hour and a half of YouTube every day. Um, who, you know, I mean, the crazy stats are, are around social media. I mean, we're talking half a billion tweets going out on planet Earth every day. Um, still half a million new Facebook accounts opening every day. Never mind that that's my grandparents' generation, it's right? Totally, like it's totally, yes, yes. <laughs> But 95 million Instagram photos, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, the White House is probably responsible for like half of those tweets, by the way. You know, it's like <laughs> a crazy time that we live in with a lot of noise. And while for, I think, most of my upbringing, the idea of accessibility and convenience um, was really, really attractive. More than ever, I especially see this generation coming up saying, actually, we don't really just want more. You know, uh, it's not about quantity for them. Uh, it's about authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about depth. Uh, it's about quality, you know, so that, that's an exciting shift that hopefully this next generation um, can lead the way in. And, and with that does come some need for a curating standard, right? Everything that we consume when it comes to music, books, art, film, uh, it is disposing our soul to virtue or to vice. I mean, yes. that's a pretty big thing to, to propose. But what we're saying is that um, music, for example, is either making it more difficult to live a life of um, virtue or, in fact, making it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, easier to choose the good or in fact, much more attractive to choose the evil. So there's a lot of music out there that's sort of seemingly harmless. I'm not even talking about music with, you know, uh, profanity, right? Just um, neutral. Yeah. That's right. You know, we, we can call it, you know, clean lyrics, uh, but even all the way down to uh, like the, the beat and the, the rhythm. And I mean, these are things I don't fully understand because I've not studied, fully studied the philosophy of aesthetics and the morality of music. But what I have read is that it's bigger than just the lyrics and that actually uh, these things um, that we think are harmless and that we passively consume all throughout the day are in fact shaping us. Yes. And as you put it, there's, there's not only a physical health, uh, there's a mental health and most especially for us as Catholics, we would care deeply about our spiritual health, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's even all kinds of literature and studies on the effect of music on the brain. And yes. that's a whole conversation we could have. And, and obviously the, the, the mental um, illnesses that are on the rise because of social media addiction alone, yes. that's a worthwhile conversation. But, you know, in this context, what we're really talking about is not even mental health, but spiritual health, the health of the soul. And are we allowing beauty, for example, to enlarge the soul, increase our capacity for goodness, or in mm-hmm. fact... Um, decrease our, our even desire for it, you know, yes. um, to, to eventually squash that desire that's ultimately infinite, that's ultimately pointing towards the heavenly homeland, mm-hmm. 
pointing towards God? Are we, are we, are we happy to live a life of, of indifference or, or a life of just idle drift? Um, or do we want to cultivate that inf- infinite desire that, that leads us home, that leads us home to God himself, you know? Amen. And you're, so you're, one of your taglines or, or um, mottos, I think you maybe say it at the beginning of your podcast, and it's love what is good uh, to become what you love. Is that correct? Did I butcher it? No, that was exactly right. (laughs) That was perfect. And it's it's super, it's super Thomistic, right? Because, and, and, and the precursor to that, however, is, is, um, you cannot love what you do not know. And so you have to know these things before you can even love them. And that's that's the challenge. Because again, going back to kind of my first question is, how do you get there? How do you sift through all the, 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 all the stuff to know, okay, this is the bad stuff. I don't actually need to be spending a lot of time here. Um, Mm. because you kind of a little bit have to have the, I mean, I'm just, no, I'm just going to say how, how Jimmy. How? That's a good question. I think there's a lot of trial and error, at least there has been for me. I'll never forget being in eighth grade uh, and coming across uh, Sticks' greatest hits, okay? <laughs> and I was a big piano player, you know, yeah. still am, but especially then was really enjoying learning how to play the piano. And uh, so when I first mastered Come Sail Away, you know, on my family's <laughs> little baby grand piano, I just felt great about life. And, uh, you know, Lions and Lucy wasn't far behind it. And and I was kind of beginning to move out of classical music into a little bit more of pop and rock music. And one of the deep tracks on that album is called Show, Show Me The Way, mm-hmm. which is funny because I had never heard of Christian music at the time. I didn't know there was such a thing as, you know, music that could lift the soul to God or dispose the soul to virtue. Like that was all way above and beyond anything I was thinking about as an eighth grader, obviously. Yeah. Um, but that was the song that I started playing every night before I went to bed because ah. it was teaching me how to pray, which is funny. Like Dennis DeYoung, I don't, I don't even know how Catholic that guy is, right? Uh, but the, the one who wrote it um, as, as one of the front men in Sticks uh, did grow up Catholic and is to some extent a man of faith, even if those angels became aliens and come sail away. I don't, I don't really know what's <laughs> going on with that song, you know? Um, but the point is, I could sense very intuitively that this music was lifting my soul to yeah. God, was helping me tap into that ache that we all have, uh, mm-hmm. an ache that can't be satisfied by just like passive consumption or passive living, but really only satisfied by being in relationship with God, who's the source of it all, the the fulfillment of all of our desires, right? So that's my way of saying, you know, we have to be actively discerning hey, at the end of this song, at the end of this 30-minute run as I was listening to that particular album, at the end of watching this hour-and-a-half film, am I being filled with noble, heroic uh, desires? Um, Am I uh, longing for God and for heaven? It's not that everything has to be intense. In fact, everything doesn't even have to be spiritual or religious by any means. Um, Is this this helping uh, cultivate a desire to give myself away in love? Mm-hmm. Is, is this inspiring me to be more heroic and sacrificial? You know, we call it the love good standard. It's, mm-hmm. it's truth, beauty, and goodness. You know, first and foremost, is it drawing me in? Is it captivating me? Or is it trying to sell me something? And is it manipulating me? Um, is it just empty show? That's where beauty comes, comes into play. Truth, like, is it rooted in something bigger than myself? Is it going to bring me outside of myself? Is it going to help me enter into the human experience with more courage 
and more boldness. And then goodness is, does this in some way um, change me for the better? Does this transform, you know, even in a small way, um, a, a hurt in my heart towards hope or, a, a, you know, a, a, an impurity of, of my soul towards something that is good and wholesome? Um, does it bring about that interior change that we all want? You know, in the words of St. Francis de Sales, to live is to change, but yes. to become perfect is to change often. Yeah. Um, the media we consume can actually be a, a huge contributing factor in that. Oh, absolutely. And what you're saying, what you're describing is that it's a little bit um, intuitive. Like we kind of right. I- into it if it's good or bad. Ba- and, and because we do have, especially if we're baptized Christians, we, we actually do have the sacramental graces that have transformed our souls to recognize the good, right? I mean, right. we believe that as Catholics. We are, again, back to that incarnational idea of, of sacramentality and all of those things. So we do have this sense that, you know, we know when our thoughts are drifting, but we just have to be conscious of it and aware of it. I mean, even if we're not big journalers, which I'm not, um, but, but just <laughs> maybe make a maybe make an iphone note like when i listen to this song this is where my thoughts are you know i often say that that's kind of a a remedy for wandering minds during adoration is take note of where your thought went when it went off track yeah. you know and what what was that what was the the trigger what was the thing that i was thinking of and sometimes it is just as you said like music or a beat or an image or something like that and we just need to become a little bit more um on guard um, that's right the, and I'd say for, for most of us, it might not even be that we immediately start being really discerning and uh, try to become some world-class curator of music, books, and art. I mean, that would certainly be our hope within Love Good, that we could, we could get anybody to that place with enough exposure uh, to what we're, what we're doing. Um, but most of us just need to go on a media detox. Like most mm-hmm. of us just need to turn it all off for 40 days or for 90 days, uh, because the problem is right now, um, we're just really full of bad habits. Like as a mm-hmm. culture, we're, we're addicted uh, to our phones and our screens. And, you know, uh, I often will ask young people when I'm giving talks, you know, what percentage of the time do you feel at peace? Like truly at peace. And most of them will tell you less than 20% of the time. Wow. Um, and I think a lot of that really is uh, the culture that they've grown up in, you know, and the, uh, the just, you know, we can't imagine life without without this phone or without this laptop or whatever it is. You know, the dopamine rush that comes from checking our Instagram feed is not that different from the dopamine rush behind a slot machine or in some studies, not that different from what happens when you take a hit of cocaine, you know? Absolutely. Um, yes. I've read so that study. Yeah. Si- silence, detox, the same, th- the same things we're willing to do for our physical health, we should be willing to do for our mental and spiritual health as well. Mm-hmm. Fasting is huge. Brian, you gave a good um, suggestion of how you do that. You keep your 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 book or your phone on top of a book, yeah. and anytime you want to go for your phone, you reach for the book, <laughs> or at it's least try system. to. Yeah, it's the buddy <laughs> system. You got to make a choice because you got to make a choice. If you don't have the two things in front of you, you can't make a choice. So, exactly. you know, put something in front of you to actually have to make the choice. So um, I want to I wanna put you a little bit on the spot here. So do you guys know the story of, I think it's St. Boniface and, the, and Thor's Oak? Do you, do you know this story? So um, St. Boniface was, um, uh, he was, he was a, an evangelist, obviously went to the um, peoples who did not know God, did not know Christ. And these were specifically pagan people who were, I think, Germanic tribes. And they worshipped trees. They were actual tree worshippers. 
kind of like today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so they, they worshipped trees. Really, they did. And they felt like this one particular oak, I think it was called Thor's oak, was like the, the icon or the manifestation of the god Thor. And, you know, if, if anything were to happen to this oak, then, you know, retribution and catastrophe and all of the bad things. Well, Boniface went and cut the thing down, like chopped it down, like went to the center and just chopped the thing down and then built a church, I think dedicated to like St. Peter or something. And um, I was listening to a, a conversation about this kind of idea of what is, what's the oak? Like what's the thing that if we cut it down would disrupt the culture so much that we would have no choice but to, you know, reorder in a way. Mm. And it's and and I want to say kind of as a as a as a tangent here, is that even the right approach? Because I think the more um the, the more the, the approach that's more in line with like John Paul II is, you know, the faith has to become the culture. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that the faith knocks down the culture, but rather it's more of a of a slow brew in a way, um, or a revolution. Um s- slower quickly who knows but what jimmy just what do you think is it chopping down the oak or is it a process <laughs> i think some are called to chop down the oak i'm, I'm yeah. thinking about the prophets who never held back in the old testament uh and and frankly moments with our lord i'm in the gospel today uh he said mm-hmm. woe to the pharisees more than once and then suddenly the other scribes are saying well you know jesus this this sort of offends us too and he said well, heck yeah, it does. Woe to you guys for all kinds of other reasons. You know, like there is such I'm gonna a thing I'm going to get to you in a minute. <laughs> I Wait your turn. To you <laughs> so you can't help but think some are called uh, to cut down the oaks uh, and, and to be those signs of contradiction. You know, I just, as you were telling that story, I was reminded of a beautiful um, meditation by Pope Benedict XVI on Christmas. It's, it's now, I think, an Ignatius Press book that, uh, is like a, a coffee table kind of gift item. Uh, but it's some of the most beautiful um, meditations on Christmas I've ever seen. And he talks specifically about that story and how those trees being cut mm-hmm. down were then later the, the beginnings of Christmas trees. Yeah. So it was almost like they, you know, um, confidence of their baptism, confidence of, of, of God's power. Basically, they were able to look at evil in the face and laugh. By mm-hmm. then taking those trees and putting them up in their homes to celebrate the very coming of their king, yeah. who was Jesus at Christmas. So I do think there are some like Chesterton, there are some like Matt Frad. Um, he would love that association. Um, so many <laughs> out would. there uh, in history and in today's climate that are called to be, you know, the, the voices crying out in the desert. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm called to be that in a very public way. I often find that there are moments where prophetic words are just coming and it's for a particular person yeah. at a particular time. And I think all of us, by virtue of being baptized as priests, prophets, and kings, are called to speak those prophetic words mm-hmm. to people that we love um, when the Holy Spirit inspires it. So to have courage, right? Um, the reality is most of us um, are probably called to do sort of the love good thing, which is to engage and redeem culture from the inside mm-hmm. out, the, the slow burn, as you put it, that in fact, there's something incredible about looking um, and initially sort of even sounding like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one by one, you begin surprising people with joy, yeah. with integrity, with interior freedom, with holiness. Mm-hmm. And that then 
they can't help but ask the questions, right? What is different about you? Mm -hmm. what, what is it that you have that I want? It's the burning I, bush, yeah. It's the burning I, I bush. I want what you got. That's right. And I have to think that's the call for all of us, um, but that you know there are some who the Lord lifts up and yeah. says, speak mm -hmm. and speak loudly and I'll, I'll give you the microphone. Um, and yeah, those are gonna, those are the people who really, um, yeah, get on a lot of other people's nerves, you know? <laughs> they knock down lots of trees, those people. <laughs> you know, we tell our kids, in this day and age, if you want to be really kind of a rebel and you want to be countercultural and you want to be um, different, then live your faith. Be because a saint. Yes. For, for their friends and in so many teenagers and just the world we live in, it's so common to be mm -hmm. anti-religion and anti, you know, this and that. If you really want to be a rebel, go to confession, you know, go stand yeah. in the gym during confession more. and let people see you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Sin is really boring. I mean, to borrow the words of GK Chesterton, it is boring. It is humdrum and it is safe. You know, mm -hmm. there are an infinity of angles by which one falls, mm -hmm. but only one by which you stand. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that's the life of Christ. It's yeah. the life that the church holds out to us through the sacraments. It's the it's the it's the last standing rebellion of our times to be yeah, totally. a saint. Nobody sees it coming. And again, when young people respond to that call, they captivate everyone in their wake, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we could talk about this forever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> I love this stuff. I mean, this is like when my, when I was growing up, I used to love to go to like fabric stores with my mom and just like touch all the fabrics and it was like a brain <laughs> massage. This is the same thing. Like talking about this stuff, it just gets all the juices flowing and gets me thinking about like how I can do a better job in in you know in in my little forest. And is it about cutting down yeah. the trees? And sometimes it is because sometimes it's about taking away the phones and shutting down the internet and all of those things and on the other hand it's the little it's the little things it's the process and i love yeah. that how you said it's the slow burn and i think john paul ii um said that the one time he was asked about his pastoral approach and he said well the pope only knows how to count to one you know <laughs> that that sometimes it's just that one-on-one -on -one connection with that person that can you know ripple out and change the world um and mm. obviously he did that so we often um always not often all of the time. All of the times we end our podcasts uh, with our last little bits because Tracy and I are friends in real life. And even when we have like a, a podcast like this or have a business telephone call, we'll hang up and then we'll start texting because we've got like one more thing to tell you. I forgot to tell you this thing. And so this is our opportunity for like, what's the last little bit? What, it doesn't have to be about anything that we've talked about. It can be what's something on your mind, something on your heart, something that's coming up that you want us to know about. Um, we're going to give you, since we're putting you on the spot, Jimmy, a minute to think about it. Um, but Tracy and I can go first. Do, do you want to do any <laughs> meaning? Do you want to do rock, paper, scissors, or you got okay. it? I mean, I, okay. All right. Way. Rock, paper, scissors. All right. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. What do you got? Okay. You win. You win because this is winning scissors. is going first. It, it, I think the rock breaks the scissors. Go. Okay. So whilst on the computer the other day, <laughs> I saw something that came across my um, email, and it started with "Did you know?" And truthfully, I'm not really I'm not a big drinker. However, Catholics are really known for this. Like we enjoy known, hydration. It's we're true. known for making beer, and you know the early ages. We're known for the champagnes and stuff. Anyways, I thought this was just really interesting. And I don't know why I always come to like alcohol, but <laughs> here, here it is again. Did you know, dot, 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 
Beer was perfected by medieval monks who gave us modern brewing as we know it. Yes, Knew because it. We've, talk- we've talked about that. One of the world's finest champagnes was named after its inventor, and I'm going to butcher it, Dom Perignon, who was a Benedictine monk. Yeah. Did oh, you yeah. know that? Oh, totally. Yeah. Jimmy, did that's, you know that? That's why I love champagne. I Thank you. Okay, <laughs> Jimmy didn't know it. This one I love, too, because we love <laughs> Unipro Sarah in our house. The California wine industry began when Blessed, now St. Unipro Sarah, and his Franciscan brethren brought the first wine grapes to that region. Mm. Did you know that? Mm. Cool. I just, I mean, I knew he did all the missions, but I didn't know he also brought wine to California. Because um, he needed it for the Blessed Sacrament. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Oh don't Probably know. something to that. Uh, but like the whole industry now has Blessed Uniperus or St. Uniperus Sarah to thank. Yeah. However, they're taking down his statues left and right. I but know. I know. That's another conversation. No, that, that's going to be another bee in my bonnet. And the last one is Chartreuse, the world's most magical liqueur, was perfected by Carthusian monks and is still made by them. Only two monks at any time know the recipe. This one I knew. That one that is, is so pretty cool. cool. It's magical. Yeah. I mean, thank a Catholic. <laughs> thank a Catholic. Indeed. A monk or a priest. <laughs> That's all I've got. My last little bit is a study that I read about, um, okay, so we were talking about like whether we're, you know, melancholic or sanguine or choleric. Choleric. Um, <laughs> and, and like all, and our family loves to do like all of those introspective things like the Myers-Briggs and the temperaments and the Enneagram and, you know, all of the things just to, cause they're, they're great conversation starters in general. But I read this one study that was done by a clinical psychologist about what, what kind of coffee you drink and what that says about you. And so I want to just um, really quick tell you guys what the, what the breakdown is, the, the simple breakdown. I'm sure there, it's more complicated than this. And you tell me if it applies to you. Oh, wait, Jimmy, do you drink coffee? Uh, I've been drinking the entire time we've been talking. Yes. <laughs> so this is going to work for us because we're not tea drinkers. Um, or I do like the tea. I just, it's just not my first choice. Um, so if you drink latte, you are more, you're considered a helper, a comfort seeker, uh, generous, and overextending yourself. And latte means like you just add milk to your coffee. It can mean that as well, not like you actually ordered a latte. Um, decaf people are obsessive and controlling. Black coffee drinkers are simple purists. They're patient, but they are resistant to change and quiet and moody sometimes. Uh, <laughs> blended coffee drinkers, so things would be like um, like a frappuccino or just like something that's a blended. Um, they're the trendsetters. They like new things. They're bold and reckless. Uh, cappuccino drinkers are perfectionists. They're sensitive and often scrupulous. And instant coffee drinkers <laughs> are just bad people. <laughs> they don't have souls. No, I'm just kidding. They, uh, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're laid back, poor planners, and procrastinators. <laughs> That's awesome. So what's your coffee? What's your coffee, y'all? Oh, the way that you described it, I want to say I'm, I'm the mixed you know, frappuccino type, but, um, I've been drinking it black for years and that's, that's how I roll. And I'm not even very quiet or moody. So I, yeah, it could be some, okay. all right. So some, this, some this study there. is false. This is it's already been fake wrong. science. I'm a latte fake slash science. black, but probably more latte. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. 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 I'm, more, I, mine has to have can. cream. Yeah. And it could be fake cream. It can be almond cream. I don't know if that applies, but, um, yeah. All right. I thought that was fun. That's my last little bit. Jimmy, you got anything? Last little bit. So we, we just had the canonization of John Henry Newman on Sunday. Pray and, for us. Yes. Oh, it's so cool calling, it, calling him a saint now. 
Um, and I went to his beatification in 2010, mostly because I'm an Anglophile. Mm-hmm. I love Pope Benedict XVI. What were you guys? Are you guys Anglophiles too? Huge, huge. You have no idea, An- Jimmy. Another podcast. I think we should go on a love good adventure to England together. Oh. We'll, we'll have a little pilgrimage. Um, for sure. We're doing a love good adventure to Rome for Holy Week. So tell all your friends. It's That's going awesome. to be epic. But the point is that you know Newman was hugely influential um, in my college years mm-hmm. and just a great inspiration uh, on so many fronts. So. The reason I'm bringing this up is one of my very best friends, uh, who is a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Birmingham, England, uh, was one of the primary altar servers with Pope Francis at the canonization mass this past Sunday. So I've been geeking out. That is awesome. Which one was he? I watched the whole thing. I probably even Um, know which one he is. I can can share a picture with you. (laughs) Do it. His name is Toby uh, Duckworth. He's, He's, you can't miss him. So. Oh, Toby. Oh, cool. Toby. Toby. We're jelly. Hey, Toby. Toby. Oh, wow. That was pretty good, Tracy. You've been practicing. I have. It's my inner voice and my Siri has an English accent. So, I Jimmy, what you don't know, we're going to have one last little bit. What you don't know about Tracy is that her 40th birthday party was at Highclere Castle. Whoa. <laughs> Casual. It was a surprise. It's not, I would not have probably done that on my own. However, my husband loves me and um, I do, my inner <laughs> voice is, has a British accent. I cannot help it. <laughs> that is cool. It was that pretty cool. cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. <laughs> thank Bye you, y'all. Awesome. Bye, y'all. Thank All you. right. See ya. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium, the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful. Thank you.